Good morning. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you. Uh, maybe we can bring the house lights up a little bit so I can see your lovely shining faces. That's much better. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. It is good to be together at Faith Covenant Church. We uh, are seeking to be a church that is truly intergenerational, and uh, we aren't exactly sure how to do that well or what that means, but we're working at it. And so one of the things we're experimenting with this summer is uh, our kids are going to come back uh, at the end of the service. And so parents, if you would like your kids to participate in communion today, that'll be an option for you. Uh, of course, that is for your family to talk about and decide. Don't feel any pressure to have to have the kids participate until they know that they want to do this as a part of their relationship with God as well. And if you'd like to be talking about what that means or how to pursue those conversations with your kids, we would love to talk with you about those things as well. We're starting a, a short three-week series today, uh, kind of starting, I, I should say restarting. Uh, it's called Amazed, and it's a study of favorite psalms. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we introduced this series several years ago uh, as a way to uh, come back to, particularly in the summer months, to revisit or to visit some of the, the favorite psalms, because there's so many. You can't ever do a sermon series like on the entire psalms. It would be years in the making, right? Uh, so every summer, uh, periodically, we come back and we look at a few psalms. And so one of the things that's interesting in today's technological world is all the psalms sermons that we've done in the past are all available for you online. So if uh, maybe you're looking for something to study or read or uh, to engage your prayer life this summer, you can go to our church website and click on the sermons tab. And then if you uh, scroll down and find the series uh, search tab, you click on that and it's alphabetical, the, the word amazed comes up. And if you click on the word amazed, it'll spit out all the sermons we've done in the past on this series. So you can use that as a guide to go back. And uh, if you uh, like to listen to sermons while you walk or while you drive, you can listen to them in the car or maybe first thing when you get up in the morning over coffee. Uh, and, and you can allow this series to be a guide and a prompt for your own prayer life and your relationship with Jesus. The Psalms are truly amazing. And there's such a variety of different uh, uh, aspects to the Psalms. Some of them are uh, kind of deeply personal prayers uh, between King David and God uh, through all the different aspects of life. Some of them are more uh, songs that the, the community used in worship. Uh, and some of them are, are wisdom teachings, kind of like we've been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes in the series that we just completed. And uh, we're going to be looking at three Psalms of hope over the next three Sundays, Psalm 37 today, and then Psalm 51, and then Psalm 121. And uh, I would suggest that these are psalms of hope when uh, evil seems to prevail around you, perhaps. Uh, hope when you fall short and you feel like you've messed up in life. And then a psalm of hope when God seems hard to find. I don't, do, do any of you ever experience those things in your life? I know I do. So, so maybe these psalms would, might be Im, impactful for you in this season as well. Our first psalm today, as I said, Psalm 37, is in the style of a wisdom psalm, uh, which is not directed to God, but is directed to people. It's directed to us. It's similar, as I said, to the book of Ecclesiastes that we just walked through. And here in this psalm, King David is concerned about the impact of life in a broken, in a fallen, in an evil world on your heart and my heart, where people often seem to prefer to choose the wrong over the right, 
where evil people often seem to prosper and while good people seem to struggle and are often treated unfairly. He's concerned that God's people may become distracted from what is right and what is true and what is good and instead be tempted to follow the ways of the world rather than the ways of God, thinking that that is the way to find happiness and joy and fulfillment in their own lives. But the problem he'll want us to see and recognize as we read through a portion of Psalm 37 today is that, in fact, just the opposite is true. So Psalm 37 is is a fairly long psalm, so we're not going to go through all of it today. We're going to be concentrating on verses 1 through 9, and then at the end we'll uh, have a brief wrap-up with verses 39 and 40 that come at the end of the psalm. But we start in verse 1 of Psalm 37, where David says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The first thing that we can see David is concerned with here in these opening verses is that he knows as as people, as human creatures, we are inclined to be motivated by our desires, right? The challenge that he wants to call out here for us as he begins this psalm is that it's something that we have known as human beings for a long time. We, we know kind of personally in our own lives, but, but I'd also like to suggest today that it, it's becoming uniquely highlighted in our modern culture and in our world, and that is that we have to realize and keep in mind, David would say, that your desires can be manipulated. Your desires can be manipulated. To illustrate this point, you don't need to look any further than to do uh, a quick uh, worldwide web search in the marketing world. If you just do a brief search online, you'll you'll get uh, feedback on uh, articles from the business world that have titles like this, Creating Desire to Increase Sales or five keys to creating consumer desire, or or how to create desire through content marketing, or they get better, right? How to nurture a lead's desire and turn them into a customer, or this is my favorite, raise the temperature, how to increase brand desire and get your customers hot under the collar. Maybe a good question for us today and as we uh, get into Psalm 37 together that we can be asking ourselves and maybe we can be contemplating not only this morning, but if you want to spend time prayerfully reading through, maybe even journaling through Psalm 37 this week, is this, what is currently influencing my desires? Where are my passions being directed, and by what or by whom? What are the the results or the outcomes of the things towards which my desires have been uh, leading me? What, What are they currently producing in my life? You see, David kicks off this psalm by helping us to identify two indicators 
that can help us to know possibly when we have gotten off track in our own lives. Right off the bat, what are the two things he says? He says, do not worry and do not envy. See, worry and envy can be powerful motivators in our lives, and they can direct our desires in unhealthy and unproductive ways. Maybe another question we can be asking is, to what extent are worry and desire a regular part of your life day to day? See, the reality that David knows and that he challenges us to explore within ourselves today is that worry and envy are more common in us than we would often like to admit, even as Christians. The problem is that worry and envy, as he says, are signs that we've placed our trust in something other than God and in something that may promise us that it'll make us happy in the end, but but what we discover is it only leaves us feeling empty and disappointed. In contrast, to get us back on track when we find ourselves distracted by the things of this world and by envying what everyone else has or what we think is making everyone else happy, David encourages us to trust instead in the Lord and to seek to do good or to follow God's ways. If God is a good God, then God's ways are are good ways. And so to seek to do good is to try and follow God's ways. It's not to try and make ourselves perfect or to earn our way to heaven or to try and be good enough to earn God's love or salvation. That's not what it means to be good. To do good is simply to follow God's ways and to discover the good life that God had intended for you and me when he created us in his image from the beginning. Because he said those who trust in the Lord and seek to do good, who seek to find the good life and to live the good life, says, will dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Now, that should probably prompt us, if you're familiar with the Bible, to think of Psalm 23, right? We can, we can say where the, the results that we would expect to see when we put our trust in the Lord and when we follow His ways and when we make the Lord the shepherd of our life is that we will find safe pasture. We won't worry. We won't envy. We'll, we'll have all that we need. We will rest in contentment. And isn't that what we all hope for at the end of a long week is <laughs> to find rest and peace and contentment. You see, worry and envy, David tells us, don't lead to the good life. In fact, the phrase in the passage here that's translated, do not fret, literally in the Hebrew means do not get heated, which is much more how we might talk today, right? We might express it, uh, uh, don't get all worked up, or hey, you know, keep your cool, (laughs) See, even though it might seem that those who don't follow God's ways are finding happiness and success and fame and popularity and wealth and riches and houses and mansions and boats and all the stuff that that gets our, our desires going and that we think that if we could just have more of that, that we might just be happier when all the while it's all an illusion and a lie because those who gain those things and have those things aren't necessarily any the happier for it. 
We can get all worked up when our life doesn't seem to be progressing in the way that we like. We can get hot under the collar when people don't respond to us and give us what we think we need because we're, we're looking for our, our, uh, our affirmation or, or our attaboys from the people around us. David says that we understand when we understand life from God's perspective. We will know and we'll learn to trust that evil never prospers in the long run. In fact, it only devours those who practice it along the way. That's why he says, don't, don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. He says, like grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they'll soon die away. Now, uh, we used to live in the middle of the desert in Phoenix. And I don't know how many of you have ever lived in the desert or currently live in the desert when you're not here. But in the desert, it's kind of more like the Middle Eastern climate where, where the, the story and the people of God emerge. And in the Middle Eastern climate, you can have very lush green vegetation in the spring that can very quickly wither and lose its beauty in a few short days after a hot, dry desert uh, wind blows through and becomes, it comes and parches the land. That's why if you, if you go to Phoenix and you're smart, your front yard is not grass, it's rocks. <laughs> Instead of trying to find your happiness in the things of this world, David is saying, and following the lead of those who don't care for God or seek to follow God, he says, trusting in the Lord and seeking to follow God's ways to, to do good in your life is what will actually lead you to places in life where you can begin to experience genuine enjoyment, true personal satisfaction and peace and rest and it's like finding a safe pasture. Rather than trying to find your delight in the world, he says, you will actually find your delight in God. That's why he says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you really think about it, this is an amazing promise from God, isn't it? And it's a huge clue for us to understand where God is leading us to find true happiness in your life and in my life. See, the person who learns to truly delight in the Lord, not, not just serve the Lord in order to kind of, again, earn your way to heaven or to be good enough to, to not get sent to hell or so that God isn't going to zap you, but, but you come to understand through the story of Scripture and through the gift of Jesus who came to reveal that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love. In fact, he, he went to the cross to, to pay his entire life to show us that there is nothing that God wouldn't do to bring you back into relationship with himself. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to care for you. He wants to help you. He wants to love you. That is the story of the Bible. That's why the, the message of Jesus is called the gospel, which simply means good news. It's not bad news. It's, it's good news. See, it's the person who learns to see who God really is, that he's a, he's a loving father, he's a, he's a, a, a patient mother, he, he, he's a parent who nurtures and guides and cares for his children. That we discover that our heart's true desire, the thing we're most longing for, the thing that we're missing in our life is really God himself. 
And when we discover that that God himself is actually our heart's true desire, we find that God is more than willing to give us more and more and more of himself in abundance. As we find our desires begin to align themselves with the desires that God had for us when he first imagined us and then created us and gave us this gift of life. You see, over and over in the Bible, not only here in Psalm 37, but in many other places, we're directed to realize and to discover that the real truth about life in this world is that is when we find our delight in God, we actually discover the key to true happiness and fulfillment in living. Baptist preacher At the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century, F.B. Meyer also said it this way, though, we cannot delight thus without effort. We must withdraw our eager desires from the things of earth, fastening and fixing them on him. Or another pastor said this, which I love, this quote, longings fixed on him fulfill themselves. Longings fixed on him fulfill themselves. And so David goes on to say in verse 5 that it does require a choice. It requires some personal effort. It requires us to make a decision. Commit your way to the Lord, he says. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward or your righteousness shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Now, I, I looked up this, these two verses in several different versions because there's, it, it was kind of hard in, to understand what he was exactly trying to say here you know, with light and sun and noonday sun. But uh, if you combine some of them into a paraphrase that might read more like we would say it today, you could say, David says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act on your behalf. He will make your righteousness shine like the light and the justice of your cause as bright as the noonday sun. See, here David is explaining how taking delight in the Lord leads us to entrust everything in our life to him. When we understand that the pearl of great price, the the hidden treasure in the field is actually God himself, we will sell everything that we have to gain the one treasure that we can't buy. To commit your way to the Lord means that you're allowing God to become the compass of your life, that you're choosing to follow God's roadmap for finding the pathway to the good life. And as we've heard in our study on the book of Ecclesiastes, this means the need to give up control of your life and to try and manage the events and the outcomes of your life, trusting that God will fulfill his promise to you in his way, in his time, because he knows and wants what's best for you and for me. His pathway to the good life, his plan of action for you and for me uh, is what will establish his righteousness in us. It's not being good enough for God to do this for us first. It's first allowing him to do it for us so that we can become the goodness that God wants to see in our life. 
It's in the end that he and David says, will vindicate this choice to commit your life to him. If you follow his ways, he says, in contrast to the ways of the world that simply lead to, to disappointment and depression and, and a living death, He says, if you choose to follow God's compass and to apply his roadmap to the path that you're pursuing, what you'll discover is that God will vindicate that choice in your life. What does vindication mean? It's the act of clearing someone of blame or suspicion, or, or it's a proof that someone or something is right or is justified. Basically, in another passage, it says, taste and see, right, that the Lord is good. Try me out, God says. Put me to the test. See if I don't come through. That is another theme throughout Scripture is that God has proven himself over and over and over again to every generation and in every season of people who have followed him that if they put their trust in him and they put God to the test and see if he's not going to come through with his promises, God is faithful and will fulfill what he promises. He might not always give you what you want, but he'll always give you what he's promised. And what he's promised is more than we could ever have imagined or wanted. The person who puts their trust in the Lord, who learns to take delight in him, that he is the desire of our heart, he is the greatest treasure that we could ever find or discover, and who has committed their way to him by entrusting everything to him, David says, will see God fulfill his promise to do these things because God is faithful and he will bring it to pass. And in the process, what we discover is that God is giving us the deepest and truest desires of our hearts and leading us to truly find fulfillment and happiness and peace and joy and comfort in all of the things that we see over and over again, the Bible says, are the result of trusting that God is who he said he is and he will do what he says he will do. The very things that we thought to find by following the ways of the world that we discover always leave us disappointed. We discover can only be found in our relationship to God and, and in following his ways. On our part, our job in this is to learn to stop trying to always go back and take the wheel. <laughs> To stop trying to be the one who, who needs to be in control or, or to believe that we should be able to be in control because you can't and you won't. And the sooner you figure that out, the sooner you're going to be happier and healthier and a, and a better person to the people around you. In fact, David is telling us the more we fret, the more we worry, the more we envy, the worse off it is for us. And so he continues in verse 7 by saying, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Or, or we might say, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Because God has promised to faithfully care for those who put their trust in him and to act on their behalf. We can cease feeling like we have to strive for more. We can choose to be still. We can enter into God's rest where we can learn to have more patience for ourselves and patience for those around us as we learn to have patience 
for the Lord himself. See, instead of fretting or worrying or, or, or doing things that impact our desires and lead us to try and, and do things to, to, to take life by the reins and to try and make everything work out the way we think it needs to happen, which leads us to only fear and, and maybe even believing that God has forgotten us and that God isn't working on our behalf and that we're looking for God's answer, but it's not coming through as quickly as we would want it to or, or as fast as we hoped it would. But we have to learn to trust that God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Right? We may want to rush God ahead. We may want to hurry him up and say, okay, God, I've waited long enough. The time is now. But we don't know what God knows. We can't see what God sees. And so again, it comes down to a matter of trust. Do we trust God at his word? Do we believe that God fulfills his promises? Do we believe that God is a good God who has our best interests at heart? Because when we trust, it, when our trust in God wanes, then more, and then more likely, we are more likely in our own impatience to become more and more restless. Isn't that interesting that, that oftentimes in life we can feel a, a restlessness and, and, and that word is familiar to us. We can be restless or there's a restlessness, but, but have you ever thought about it in contrast to what God has promised in his word, that God promises you rest or peace, and yet we live in a world that is restless and filled with restlessness and, and running here and there and chasing every scheme and hoping that we're going to be able to make it work and, and, and find the, the, the golden ring or the brass ring that's going to ultimately make us happy. But when we become restless, we, try, we begin to worry and we become tempted to take back control and we, we think that we're the only ones who can be responsible to meet our needs and to satisfy our desires and to try and create happiness for ourselves. The problem, David says, is that it rarely works out in our favor. Instead, we become more and more frustrated, more and more short-tempered. We become less patient and we begin making choices from a place of fear and anxiety and restlessness rather than a place of peace and confidence. And so the kinds of choices that we make for ourselves never bring us life. They only bring us death. That's why he says in verse 8 and 9, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret. It only leads to evil for you and for others. For those who are evil will be destroyed, he says, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. You see, to hope in the Lord, I would suggest to us today, means to take a long view of God's activity in your life. You may have a view of the next week or two, <laughs> but I guarantee you that God knew you before you were born and he knows where you're going to be after you die and he's taking the long view of how he wants to grow you and develop you and use you and bless you in your life. 
Rather than seeking and expecting instant gratification in this world and even in our relationship with God, the person whose hope is in the Lord finds that their trust, their delight, their commitment, their confidence in God, all these things that David has been leading us to focus on, gives them a more sustainable resilience to weather any storm that this life can throw at them, and to better see the hand of God at work in and through every circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's those who hope is in the Lord that allows them to to take a long view of God's working and development project in their life so that they can trust and that they can hope and they can believe that at just the right time, they're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord. I mean, if you think about an inheritance, it's not something you get right away, right? It's usually something that you have to wait a long time. Someday out there, I know an inheritance is waiting for me, so I can, I can bank on that, I can trust in that, I can hope in that. And that's what God wants you to understand today. And he wants me to know each day that there's an inheritance in God waiting for you. And it's not just eternal life when you die. It's God's current activity to work in your life, to lead you to a place of blessing and safe pasture so that you can experience the joy and the peace of living. That's the gift of life that he wants for each one of us. Those who put their hope in the Lord will receive an inheritance. They will inherit the land. That which has been promised to them. That which has been prepared for them. That which God in the Bible says is what his whole intention in creating this world and in sending his son to die has been from before he even started this amazing project. Now we might remember that in Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 5, Blessed are the meek. For what? They will inherit the earth. That's kind of a weird saying, right? Inherit the earth. Well, another way you can translate the word earth is also land. That's what land is. It's earth. It's dirt. It's, it's a plot. It, it, it's something that, that God says is a, is, a, is a physical representation of the kind of promise I'm wanting you to understand that is available for you in relationship to me. If you think about land and earth, it's the archetypal salvation story of the people of God that began and is captured in the story of the exodus out of slavery in Egypt, Right? where the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to the people that he called to himself is his promise and provision that was always captured in the idea that there was a promised land. That if they followed him, if they trusted him, if they gave up control of their own lives, that he would lead them to a place flowing with milk and honey, symbolic of blessing and provision and happiness and joy and rest and peace. It's a place where, where, where we end our wandering and our striving. It's, it's a place where we, we find uh, an end to our restlessness and a place that becomes a true personal and spiritual home. 
And that's the idea that we see at work here in Psalm 37, where David says that those who refrain from trusting in themselves, or as Jesus said, those who are meek, rather than those who are arrogant and demanding and are angry at God because he's not giving them what they want when they want it, those whose hope is in the Lord, who have a long view of God's activity in their life, will find a promised land. They will discover God's blessing and provision for their lives. They will cease their wandering and their striving and find a place of true rest and fulfillment. Would you like to find that place? (laughs) I know I would. You don't have to wait to die to get there. God says it's available right now, in this moment, and every moment of every day when we put our trust in the Lord. When we trust that He is our greatest delight, that there's nothing that will satisfy us more than anything that He can give us. And that when we allow him to be the controller and the shepherd and the master of our lives, he will lead us to still waters and safe pastures. And he was the one who will restore your soul. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that we remember in the communion feast of broken body and poured out blood are are tangible daily reminders that God has given everything to lead you home. And the only requirement that he asks of us is that we simply recognize that apart from him we are lost. And if we just receive his gift of himself to us that is available through his son, Jesus, he promises he will lead us home. Rather than thinking that we're saved because of our own goodness, our own righteousness, or how rich we are, how popular we are, or or whatever the standards of the world around us tells us that we need to be desiring and pursuing and, and seeking, in reality, the Bible over and over again tells us that salvation only comes from the Lord. And when we know this and when we put our trust in this and we realize that in him we can weather every storm, we can can find genuine delight in relationship with him, we can discover that he himself is our greatest strength in times of trouble. Men and women, we can overcome every obstacle. We don't have to fear addiction. We don't have to falter because of divorce. We don't have to fall away from the faith because of financial challenges and burdens. We don't have to wonder if God is for us in the midst of career ups and downs. Just the opposite. We can know that he is there and he is available and he is willing to walk with us through every moment to help us find healing and wholeness and joy and satisfaction. And so as we wrap up today, we conclude with David's words at the end of Psalm 37 in verse 39 and 40, where he tells us that the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. 
The Lord helps them and delivers them, and and he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they put or take refuge in him. And so, brothers and sisters, our invitation as we wrap up today is not only to spend time with God thinking about, praying through, reflecting on Psalm 37 for our own lives, not just today, but, but spend your time this week reading it through and seeing what more God has for you out of this psalm and in the other psalms we're going to look at. But to once again admit today that we have gone seeking other gods We have gone seeking other ways of happiness. We have gone seeking other ways to manage and control our lives. And we have turned our back on the only one who could ever truly satisfy us. But also be reminded that he is the only one that will bring us back and always offer his mercy and his grace and his love to put us back on track and to put us on the path to the good life that he's promised. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word, that you, from before creation began, have been a God who speaks. You do not remain silent, even though sometimes we don't hear your voice or we wonder where you are in the midst of life in this world. All we have to do is go to your word and return to scripture to see that for centuries and eons, you have been speaking a word of love and grace and mercy, ultimately fulfilled in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to give his life so that we could have life. And not just meager life, but have it abundantly. And so God, for those of us here this morning who are ready to admit that we have put our trust in other things and we have sought happiness in other ways and realize our mistake and recognize that that salvation can only come from you and that, that we need to put our trust in you and that even though we might not understand what that means, we're willing to take a long view of your work in our life. I invite everyone in that boat to pray with me, God, forgive me for my sin. Help me to overcome my unbelief. I receive the gift of your salvation and Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today because I recognize that apart from him, I'm lost and I can do nothing in my own strength. God, help me to to learn to see with new eyes and to to, to understand with the heart of faith that, that you are at work in every circumstances and you have promised healing and help to overcome every obstacle. And God, I will commit my way to you and to the best of my ability, through the help of your Holy Spirit, I will seek to live the good life that you have called me to live knowing that you have promised that in the end, you will lead me home. And God, for those of us here who've maybe walked with you for a long time, but recognize in this season of life, or or maybe even in just in the last few months or a couple years that we've kind of gotten off track and we've been distracted by the things of this world, maybe even things of church that, that we thought we needed to spend time doing and pursuing, but has led us away from truly understanding that our delight needs to be only in you. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that any of these other things could satisfy us. 
Draw us again to yourself and help us to understand that spending time in your word and inviting you into every moment of the day and to see the beauty of your creation and to reflect on the goodness of your grace and taking delight in your love are all the things that will lead us to the peace and the comfort and the satisfaction that we've been missing but we've been chasing in all the wrong ways. And God, as we come to this Holy Communion table today, I pray that you would draw all of us to yourself again and that you would remind us of the amazing gift that you have given us, that you yourself are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure in the field that if we're willing to sell all that we have, we can discover everything that we could never afford on our own. And we will praise you and worship you, and we will follow you through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.